Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Uh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. You should have got Oscar. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who? Are the Knutsons? These are big movies think about big men in tights. Roll that motherfucking camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies Retrospectating 1999 South Park. Bigger, longer, and freaking uncut, man. One of my favorite musicals of all time. I agree with you there. One of the great uh, postmodern musicals, I would say. Man, this was, you know, we've been doing this series uh, since the beginning of the year, and this, of all the movies, is one of the ones I was most excited about, and it was one of the most seminal for me, definitely at the time. Like, I was a humongous South Park guy. I remember, I, I saw the the little Christmas special, basically their, like, Christmas card. Yeah. Thing that they did the before, spirit of Christmas, right? The spirit of Christmas. I, I don't know if I came across across it on Ain't It Cool News or something else, but I definitely downloaded that and watched it on QuickTime on my desktop computer <laughs> um, before South Park was even uh, on the air. So I, I was keyed in with with Trey and Matt from the from the get go. You were literally there with Comedy Central for the very first episode of the very first season, which would have been, oh, yeah. looking at it here, August 13th, 1997 was the first episode of the first season. That sounds about right, yeah. And were you a Cannibal the Musical slash Orgasmo guy up to that point? Because I think those predate South Park, right? They predate them, and th- this is what's crazy as, as a huge Trey and Matt fan. I've still never seen Orgasmo or Cannibal the Musical. Yeah, they were bouncing around in college. I, re- I remember those DVDs like sitting on people's shelves, and I just never got around to it because I'm kind of a super fan as well. I've seen every single, we're we're coming up on 300 episodes of South Park this year and I've seen every single one. Seen the Book of Mormon multiple times, love that. Team America, obviously I'm a big fan, but it's it's weird. I've never gone back to the early stuff. I've never actually seen The Spirit of Christmas to be perfectly honest. I can probably find it on YouTube. I would presume. Yeah, and it it doesn't hold up all that well, um, (laughs) which is not surprising. But Visually or comedically or both? Both, okay. both, really. I mean, it's I. I'm the same though. I, I I've seen every episode of South Park. I remember in college, you know, Wednesday nights, I was appointment viewing for all of us. Um, yeah, I mean, that's when Towley came along when when oh we were in college. God. That's when Butters first came along when we were in yep. college. I mean, it's weird going back and watching the the movie now, which was made I think between the second and third seasons of the show, and there's no Butters and there's no Tweak and uh, there's no Towley, obviously. But it's 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 strange characters that have been along for so long now and yet they're not part of the uh of, of the feature film just was it, it feels like there's something missing butters did make a very short appearance in the movie i believe but like he was a background character that like he was just one of the stock he certainly doesn't talk classmates yeah yeah he doesn't talk right but he, he was there um the look of butters the you know original butters was there i don't know Proto i don't know butters. what his first first episode was that's a south park super fan uh answer so but were you there from the beginning of of the show as well like w- when this movie was was announced and was coming out were you were you raring to go or or did were you a latecomer i was raring to go but i was not there from the beginning i, I must be perfectly honest and say i think i got hooked around season two ish Pretty early in season two. I can actually point to the episode that finally hooked me. Uh, You know how certain people say that, you know, Seinfeld changed forever as soon as the contest aired, right? Yeah. Like that that completely changed how that show was perceived. And basically it was a hit from then on out. Mm -hmm. Um, The the episode that really sort of changed the way I looked at, (laughs) at, at comedy in a lot of ways and certainly changed the way I looked at that show was an episode called, um, 
Um, I'm, I'm scrolling through season two now. Uh, Ike's Wee Wee. It's called Ike's Wee Wee. It's, it's basically, oh. it's the um, drugs are bad <laughs> episode, right? Yeah. 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 Ike, Ike is getting circumcised. Yeah, that's the B story. And then the A story is Mr. Mackey getting addicted to every single drug. And <laughs> I thought that was so fucking clever and so hilarious. And Mr. Mackey went on to become pretty much my favorite character on the show. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, that that honestly, the kids really aren't even in that much of that episode. It really is a Mackie episode. But from yeah. then on, I was just like, all right, every single Wednesday night I was there. I doubt I was probably even supposed to be, you know, like I doubt my parents would have been crazy about the idea of me watching it at, you know, 14, 15, whatever I was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, from then on out, I've just been a super fan for the last 20 years. And yes, when the movie came along, I was already working at the movie theater by that point, And I was just absolutely chomping at the bit. Watching this film again the other day, it's it gave me those Proustian sort of flashbacks to literally like sweeping up, you know, sweeping popcorn off the movie theater floor while Michael McDonald sings uh, the uh, the eyes of a child, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I so would good. I would volunteer to go clean up the South Park bigger, longer, and cut bigger, longer, and uncut theaters because I just loved the music so much and I loved that that end credit sequence. Oh my god, I love it so much. Yeah. So so I was one hundred percent there opening weekend and I was really really excited and it and honestly it surpassed my wildest expectations. I it it blew my sixteen year old brain. Yeah, uh, same here. I'll I'll get into my story of how I saw it and then we'll we'll circle back on on the the phenomenon that was South Park at the time because it can't be understated how how big a deal the show was and how much sort of press it was getting yeah. at the time but I wasn't there opening weekend because I believe we were on vacation it was a family vacation after school had ended but came back and I turned 16 on July 5th okay. right yeah and so I in the morning I passed my driver's test got my license uh-huh. and then the plan was for my younger brother and I to go drive and go see South Park Right. You remember which theater it was? Uh, Meridian 16. Okay. So this is important because the the summer of 99 was post-Columbine. And we we discussed this a couple episodes ago that that was the summer when they really cracked down on um, underage kids getting into R-rated films. And we'll we'll talk about American Pie here next month. But... um, And the idea that you know the the Disney's Tarzan that those crazy box office numbers for that film might be reflective of American Pie and South Park's yes. <laughs> to an under seventeen audience. <laughs> Did you have any trouble procuring tickets? Did you have to shoulder tap? Did you have to sneak in? No, we just bought tickets. Wow, how about that? Yeah, it was crazy. But I so my first day with my license, right? And we had a little sloping driveway that sat next to our neighbor's driveway. Driveways next to each other, and this is my first night out with my own driver's license the first time i'm going somewhere by myself i'm going with my little brother and i back down the driveway and i sideswipe the shit out of my neighbor's car <laughs> i was really hoping that's where the story was going <laughs> right okay so sideswipe the shit out of my neighbor's car and like thousands of dollars worth of damage that we oh, had to deal boy. with later i somehow convinced my parents to let me still go to the movie <laughs> with my brother in the car that i just fucked up wow um Anyway, so go to the movie, absolutely loved it. Come home, driving home from this movie two and a half hours later, uh, and I get pulled over. Wow. By the cops, right by the Space Needle, downtown Seattle. Sure. Right? Bottom of Queen Anne. I didn't have my lights on. Okay. Right? And so they're about to write me a ticket. The guy's got his stuff on, and then he gets a fucking APB for some gunshots, <laughs> like a few blocks away, and has to run away and then just leaves. So I, I didn't realize that happened. In re- I thought that only happened in, in movies when like when there was drugs in the car <laughs> or whatever. I was, I was rewatching Collateral last night, and that literally happens in Collateral. There's a dead body in the back of the car. They're about to open the trunk, and the cops are like, we got an APB. We got to get out of here. All right, get home safe. <laughs> That, that yeah, warms my heart that you actually had that experience. And thank God, because it sounds like you were having a hell of a day. It was a memorable night, to be sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's how I first saw, first saw South Park. And, I, you know, emotions were running high. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to go back to how big a deal this was. Because South Park had been getting so much press, especially from the beginning. And I think it's interesting to sort of track... You know, Trey and Matt's rise and South Park's rise with the sort of with this movie setting it off a little bit because going back and watching the first two seasons, 
they're not very good, you know, in retrospect, I don't, I don't think. I mean, there's, there's a few highlights here and there. You can kind of see the kernels. But even, you know, Trey Parker has been on record saying, like, they were figuring it out as they went along. He was figuring out how to write stories and write narratives from the beginning. They didn't have a good, great sense of that right away. And so they were sort of, in a way, pretty lucky to get all the press and to get famous before they got good. And I feel like the South Park movies where they really started to get good in season three onward. So, you know, in my opinion, when you look back, the first two seasons of South Park, uh, not that great, you know, for, for a South Park historian like myself. Um, I find those those two seasons to uh, never hit their stride until after the movie came out. Okay. Um, I mean, there's some highlights here and there, uh, but Trey's even been on record saying that, like, he didn't know how to write TV, um, you know, at the beginning. Like, he was figuring that shit out as he went along, um, and he eventually did figure it out. But, I, you know, I kind of think they got a little lucky getting all the press early on and giving them some time to figure out how to turn that show into something great. And I, and I feel like the, the movie was sort of the, you know... The aha is, moment. Is... is, is yeah, is the aha moments where it all, uh, you know, it was all gravy from then on out. It's interesting. I mean, I was going to disagree with you about the first two seasons because I have only positive memories of how brilliant they are. But then again, I haven't revisited them in a long time. It sounds like you've watched them pretty recently. I mean, you use the term revisiting. Uh, so it sounds yeah. like you, you've watched a lot of those recently. And it sounds like you're saying that they don't hold up very well. I, I probably am overdue to go back to some of those early episodes. I mean, just just sort of like scrubbing through all the different episode titles. I'm seeing, you know, Big Gay Al's Big Gay Boat Ride and, you know, Mr. Hankey's first appearance, Starvin' Marvin, mm-hmm. um, you know, Mecca well, Streisand. I'm just, yeah, when, I we, were, when we were teenagers, <laughs> we were teenagers, the sort of the, the wow factor and like the, the shit catching you off guard because it's unlike anything you've ever seen. But yeah. now that we have a sense of what South Park is, like those episodes are pretty unpolished. The, okay. Visually, they're not great. Well, that's true. And, but I mean, that was always part of the charm, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm not crazy as good as I think the show still is I'm always a little bit put off by how polished it looks nowadays you know <laughs> sure. like it just That's the only it's way just, they can uh, produce so many episodes though, no I, I get it I understand it but I mean there's just something I find that's just so charming and effective about those early seasons and just how incredibly <laughs> juvenile it looks you know i i felt like that was just ingrained you know the personality of the show was so tied to the aesthetics of it yeah. but uh, and and honestly even the movie was done on you know done on, on a computer like you said that's the only way they could do it at this speed mm-hmm. so um, i'm not exactly sure at what point they you know the show really sort of switched over into becoming a little too polished for my tastes mm-hmm. but um luckily the the writing has has maintained you know the writing has stayed so good and they've you know won peabody awards and stuff and yeah. and they've always managed to stay relevant and like you like you alluded to they make the episodes so fast that they can stay really really relevant you know they can stay very like politically in, incisive mm-hmm. have you ever watched that documentary seven days to air i have yes uh it's fascinating um and that's the one where Bill Hader comes on board, right? Yeah. That's where he joins the writer's room. Yeah. It's really interesting. I I want to say it's like a Hulu documentary or something, or maybe it's just a straight up Comedy Central documentary. Yeah, I think it might be Comedy Central, but it's it's really freaking interesting to watch, and it's it's a great, um, just if if you want to see experts doing what they do well, like that's a, it's a fun thing to watch, and just seeing how it all goes down, and you know, it's not hyperbole to say that like, they really have to rush at the last minute, and everyone's sleeping at their desk, and they're, you know, there's all these writers, and you know, all these animators and voiceover people waiting for Trey Parker to figure out different scenes or whatever. So <laughs> the pressure on him uh, is is immense. But I think you know he, he puts it upon himself because that's that's the only way you know he can kind of motivate himself to to do it anymore. It feels like sure. Yeah. Um. All right, Matt. So South Park, bigger, longer, on and uncut. Like, what do you feel like is the legacy of that movie nowadays? And and do you think it's it's aged pretty darn well? I mean, especially compared to the reactions at the time. I still think it's a really brilliant satire about censorship, and I think it you know it has a lot of uh, there's a lot of Clockwork Orange to it in terms of like the the way that they deal with the V chip. Yep. And you can obviously see the seeds of um, of the Book of Mormon being sown here in terms of the approach to the songwriting. Yep. Um, this is Mark Shaman, and I believe, I want to say the Book of Mormon is Robert Lopez, the guy who 
the guy won an the Oscar Avenue for Q guy. Yeah, Avenue Q, and then he won an he and his wife won an Oscar for Frozen, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, uh, but you can really see just the affection for the musical here in the way that Bigger, Longer, and Uncut approaches its musical numbers. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is really the lasting genius. I mean, all the stuff about censorship, I, I still find to be very uh, intelligent, mm-hmm. and some of the some of the use of violence and profanity is still pretty darn you know biting and effective but to me the thing that really stands out is just what a solid musical this is and just how solid the narrative is honestly i mean it's not just you know three and a half episodes of the show mashed together i mean there's a really this is a real big kid feature film about little kids yeah right yeah i mean it's 80 minutes i you know the yeah, non-musical like stuff. Minutes. I think the non-musical stuff would make you know what, what was the, what was the famous three-parter that they did on the show? Uh, Fantasy Land, Imagination Land, Imagination Land. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think without the music, this amounts to like a really good three-part South Park episode, right? It, it's nothing. It's not like better than the show. It's it, it's just like a really solid South Park episode. But obviously, the musical numbers make it rise above. And you know, we've watched some musicals lately for some of our. Uh, you know AFI lists and you know Cabaret most recently and sure. uh I'm just struck by how fucking great every song in this movie is. Yep. And you know maybe it is a little bit of a cheat I guess in some ways that every song is kind of a parody of a different type of Broadway musical clearly or or a Disney musical but it doesn't matter. The execution is so fucking spot on. And like, I, I remember at the time I bought the soundtrack and I listened yes. to the shit out of that soundtrack. Like right. we, we went on an RV trip later in the summer and that was my number one most listened to thing. Like I, I could not get enough of those songs. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, just off the top of my head here, the, the, the stuff they're satirizing is Oklahoma, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Les Miserables, and Chitty Chitty, Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang at least, right? Yes. And it's just... And so, Puff Daddy. Uh, sure, yes. <laughs> Briefly, a brief little Puff Daddy reference that ties it into 1999. There's a clear just affection. You know, it's it's satirizing this stuff, obviously, but it's also coming from a place of affection, I think. Oh, yeah. And the fact that, you know, the Book of Mormon is so good and was so was such a success, still such a success, um, both critically and commercially, just speaks volumes about how Trey and Matt feel about the you know the musical as a as a form as a genre Mm -hmm. right absolutely and just nobody was doing it you know outside of disney nobody was doing it at at this level at that point in the late 90s well i mean as far as the quality of the songs go like original musicals in the last 20 years is there anything better right like that's that's gone to you know that's gone to the screen what's better what is better songs I'd put La La Land up there. I know that's a sort of an un, that's not a sexy opinion, but I think part of the brilliance and part of the effectiveness of that movie is that the songs are secretly pretty fantastic. But certainly, I don't think that South Park gets lumped in with the great musicals of the 20th century often enough because of the nature of the of the kind of film sure. that it is and the source material. But you know, it's still significant that it was nominated for an Oscar for Blame Canada, which I. Think it's kind of funny. I think that Blame Canada is maybe like the fifth best song in the movie, in the same I way. I totally that, agree. It, uh, might, it might be the worst song of the movie. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think the Saddam Hussein song is pretty forgettable, honestly. Oh um, yeah. But it, it's just it's sort of funny because I mentioned La La Land and, and the song that ended up winning the Oscar for La La Land, which has uh, City of Stars. Right. I think that is also like the probably the fourth or fifth <laughs> best song in that movie. But there's no accounting for taste. Do you? Want to try and uh, guess off the top of your head what the other four songs that were nominated in 1999 for Best Original Song were? I, I can give you some oh, hints. Uh, there's definitely a token Disney one in there. There's like Tarzan. Yep, that one. Tarzan, that's the, the Phil Collins? Exactly. You'll be in my heart. Which one? Okay. Uh, Blame Canada, of course. South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Music is by Trey like Parker, a, Mark Shaman. Is there is there a Prince of Egypt song on there? No, I think that was earlier. That but was there 90. is another. There's a Pixar movie in there. Oh, is it Toy Story Two? It's this. Yeah, it's the Sarah McLaughlin song. Yes, uh, the Randy Newman song. Sarah McLaughlin sings "When She Loved Me." All right, that's three out of five. Then there's a there's a there's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie in there. <laughs> what? I don't I don't know. Is it, is it is it it's not is it the Magnolia song? Exactly. That's exactly right. Oh. Save Me by oh. Amy Mann. Okay, okay. Yeah, and there's no um, way you're going to get and, the fifth one. It's uh, Diane Warren, Music of My Heart from Music of My Heart. Four or five, kind of, with hints. I feel it's good a, about that. 
pretty good category, honestly. I think the yeah. Toy Story song probably deserved to win. I, you know, I think Blame Canada just being in there was a was a success. But it's funny that far and away the weakest song on this list won. Yeah, um, a movie that nobody remembers. Um, and then you know, uh, Robin Williams went on to perform it at the Oscars, which was a mm-hmm. lot of fun. And that, of course, is the infamous ceremony where Trey and Matt showed up dressed as dressed like Gwyneth Paltrow and J Lo, J- Jennifer Lopez, respectively. Yeah, and uh, you know, we're ap- tripping balls. Apocryphally, were on acid that entire time. Yeah, they, I mean, they talk about it. They've admitted to it. They they claim it's absolutely true. They were super super drugged up, which is cool. <laughs> um, what do you think is the best song? You know, Mountain Town is a is a great opening slash closing. Uh, La Resistance is that just great uh, Les Miserables inspired medley, which is just very rousing. Uh, like I said, I'm a Mr. Mackey guy, so of course it's Easy MK is a, is a personal favorite. But I'm gonna mm-hmm. go ahead and say um, Up There by um, sung by Satan. <laughs> is that where you were going to? Yeah, that's my favorite usually. <laughs> It's high notes by Michael McDonald. Exactly. Oh, you beat me to it. Yeah, I had that in my notes as well. Michael <laughs> McDonald hits that high note. And I was just rewatching it again before we started recording. And um, it's incredible the way they switch over from Trey's voice to Michael McDonald. Like, literally, it's Trey singing the whole thing. And then just he takes a breath. And then all of a sudden, Michael McDonald comes <laughs> and hit that high note. It's so good. It's the best because it's just a straight up Little Mermaid thing. And it's just it's so brilliant. And the, the lyrics are so spot on it, it's just great i give credit to james hetfield of metallica for the uncredited uh welcome to hell song which is actually pretty darn good too sure sure and um you know what what would brian boitano do is is quite clever oh big al song is fantastic as well big al yeah uh, i'm super thanks for asking is a great song and then um during the uh, la resistance medley one of my all-time favorite lyrics uh, they may cut your dick in half and serve it to a pig and though it hurts you'll laugh and dance a dickless jig so the movie comes out on June 30th, 1999, and okay, I'm going to go back. The show premieres on August 13th, 1997. The movie premieres on June 30th, 1999. So we're talking less than two years later, right? I think it was either halfway between, I either want to say it was like the hi- hiatus, like the, the midway point of the second, no, it was probably between the second and the third season now that I think about it, but they basically were having to produce the movie and the third season of South Park almost simultaneously. These guys routinely put themselves in terrible positions work-wise. Like, they, they were doing Book of Mormon and South Park at the same time. They were sure. doing Team America, which was a crazy production at the same yep. time as South yep. Park. Yep. Nuts. Yeah, it seems like that that sort of endurance test seems to be sort of like creatively fruitful for them for some reason. Yeah, they either do zero or a hundred, right? <laughs> There's no, like, they're either taking long breaks or they're absolutely getting after it, which is... Yeah, you know, it's it's in it's inspiring and also something I don't wish upon anybody. <laughs> Were you a, a basketball guy? I saw basketball on opening night. Did a double feature with a couple of friends. Saw basketball and the negotiator back to back. Wow, what an interesting. <laughs> yeah, real interesting. <laughs> then got donuts afterwards. I remember that night. I have I haven't revisited basketball in you know I didn't see it in the theater. I think I saw I think I probably saw it in a dorm room, but I think I've only seen it once and I've not had any urge to revisit it. I would, does not hold up. <laughs> yeah, I would doubt it holds up very well. I, I tried tried to rewatch it like a few months back and uh, only made it about fifteen minutes. Yeah, that was a that was a weird, crazy cash grab. But it it was it wasn't them. It was uh, it was Paramount. You know, I, I think it was Paramount. Yeah, it's David Zucker. It's actually one of the airplane guys slash yeah. Naked Gun. It was it was that moment that you're referring to, where like these guys were just so fucking red hot there, and you know, 1998, that everybody wanted a piece of them. And the mm-hmm. fact that I remember the trailers, I just I can vividly remember the trailers where Mr. Voice comes on and says, you know, from the director of the Naked Gun, starring the creators of South Park. <laughs> Which just sounds so, so absurd when you say it out loud. Like it's yeah. not starring two actors. It's not even starring two comedians. It's starring two creators of a very popular TV show. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like if right after The Simpsons started, it was a movie starring Hank Azaria and Dan Castellaneta or something. Okay, right? sure. It's or, like, well, or starring or, Matt Groening and, and or sorry, James Matt Groening and James L. Brooks. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like imagine a world where. The fucking yeah, the the showrunners of the most popular cartoon are starring in you know Paramount Pictures like big budget comedies that come out in the summer. Like what a weird thing. 
I mean, in their defense, they had already made Cannibal the Musical and Orgasmo, and I th- believe they they appear. I mean, they they did have some acting experience, and they are doing all the voices, I suppose. So yeah. these guys are performers for sure. Um, I don't remember if Basketball made money or lost money, um, but it's it, yeah, it is a weird movie, and they he even does the Cartman voice yeah. for like four seconds in that movie. Exactly, I think just just to put in the trailer, probably. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. So like you said, you can't really overstate. 97, 98, 99. I mean, this was a legitimate cultural phenomenon. Like, mm-hmm. this shit was everywhere. And then it just infiltrated, the merchandise just infiltrated, you know, everything. When the film came out, and I was working at the aforementioned movie theater, we actually had all of the South Park heads, you know, the heads of all the kids, <laughs> yeah, big, big yeah. foamy foam core heads, like hanging from the rafters of our theater. And then after a couple months after the movie, they were just giving us, they were just handing those heads to all the various employees. So I had like a cart, you know, like a four foot wide Cartman head sitting in my room (laughs) (laughs) for years afterwards. There were a lot of think pieces in magazines and on TV. And the sort of genius of this movie, you know, not only satirizing outrage and censorship, this movie, because it was doing that, became outrage proof in and of itself, right? Sure. Like you, you looked stupid to be outraged by a movie that's about people being outraged by a by a movie. So it, it it's it, it was a stroke of genius for them to do that, and it, 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 it I think it worked out to their benefit because I don't remember too much of an outrage when the movie was released. I know there was, like you said, a big push to make sure everyone's uh, IDs were out and you know the right people got in the theater. But as we know, I think kids still found a way to to get in there. Yeah, kids are very resourceful when it comes mm-hmm. to that sort of thing. I mean, I was tasked with carting people. Like, I was working the box office, and I was not allowed to, you know, and there was a camera in there, and the managers were being, you know, had quite a bit of diligence that summer. So there was a manager over my shoulder. I was having to do the unfortunate thing of, of carting these 15-year-old kids, and, uh, you know, maybe they ended up buying Tarzan tickets and then sneaking in or whatever. That's probably what I would have done. But it was, it was a strange, it was a very surreal situation to be in where I technically wasn't legally old enough to get into this film, and yet I probably watched it collectively all the different times I was cleaning that theater or wandering into my lunch hour. I probably watched it 20 times that summer. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's very near and dear to my heart. But it's also one of those movies that's episodic enough that you, you, you can just drop in, you know, like if I know Drop that, in for a song. Exactly. Yeah. If I know that it's Easy MK is coming up in a few minutes, I'll go take a bathroom break. You know, I'll leave the concession stand and go take a bathroom break and go watch that song and all that stuff still holds up i mean honestly i hadn't watched it in probably at least seven or eight years and again one of those movies that was important to me at a certain part you know a certain age that i was afraid may not have you know i was afraid the songs may not hold up i was afraid it wouldn't be nearly as funny but Mm -hmm. just just stuff like them being at the un and talking about invading Canada, you know and the guy just stands (laughs) up and he's just like fuck canada no fuck you buddy yeah, you want to so tell good. us what this is a boot? You know, it's it's very <laughs> silly stuff, and it's and it's obviously just leaning into the profanity of it all, which they couldn't do on Comedy Central at that time. Yeah, and uh, and you know, bombing the Baldwins and stuff. That stuff is all still very very funny. You know, can I, I finish? Still, yeah, yeah <laughs> all that stuff is great too. I mean, not everything lands. You know, using Barbara Streisand's name as a profanity, it, it that that really feels like season one. That feels like season one humor, right? Yeah, that's that stuff is not not quite doesn't hold up quite as well. It is interesting now when you watch South Park episodes these days, they just say everything, you know, like, I don't know exactly when that switch got flipped, but they can say fuck at 10 o'clock at night on a basic cable show. And they've been doing so for years. I'm not quite sure at what point we passed the Rubicon into this profanity is just allowed on basic cable. Do you remember when that happened? I mean, there was an episode of the show. I know we're talking so much about the show and not about the movie now, but how could you not? Yeah. There was an episode of the show that was it was it was spoofing like NYPD Blue, where everybody in South Park had to get home to watch Cop Show. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. the name of the show within the show was Cop Show. And it's because the big thing was someone on the show was going to say shit. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that was season six or seven of South Park. I can't remember. But it, it seemed like after that, when they said shit so many times over the course of that episode, because everybody was excited about the fact that they're going to get to see shit on a network show. Mm-hmm. From then on out, it seemed like the FCC was just like, all right, well, we've lost this. We've lost the <laughs> battle. With like, how many times can we sue South Park or whatever? Like, let's just let's just cut our losses here. I think once they started streaming it and they knew that they didn't have to have you know the bleeps during the streams uh-huh. is when they really started leaning into dropping f-bombs but i, I still don't i mean do, when it airs live on like 
you know, 10 p.m. on Wednesdays, are they not censoring f bombs anymore? Like, I don't, I don't have cable TV, so I only watch it on Hulu or whatever. I've watched, I've house sit pretty recently for somebody who had cable, and I've watched. I don't know if it was new episodes, but it certainly they were on Comedy Central, and they didn't bleep anything. So I really, I just, I just, I don't think that's a thing anymore. But at the time, this was a big deal because they obviously couldn't swear on the show. And then they start just letting it fly. And, you know, the, the musical number we haven't even mentioned yet is Uncle Fucker, which is the, the inciting it incident. It all off. It's the exactly. inciting incident in the movie, yeah. It's where, it's where the kids learn to swear. That's where it all started. Exactly, exactly. Which is just, yeah, again, just so smart the way that this, that the, the film sets up this discussion you know, actually a pretty intellectual discussion about the the power of profanity and censorship and the V-chip, Tipper Gore and uh, Two Live Crew and all this kind of stuff that was happening <laughs> yeah. in the 90s. At the time, as a 16-year-old, how much of the kind of like giddy excitement about this movie had to do with the fact that there was naughty language? You know, I don't remember if I really cared about the satire at the time because I agreed with it totally and completely. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the most complex message. I know, I know they get into it pretty deep and there's some really intelligent, interesting things they're saying, but I'm fully on board with what they're saying. So it's not like uh, it was profound to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think most of it was <laughs> the humor and the, the crassness of it to my 16 year old brain and, and the songs. The songs were probably not what I was most excited about going in, but obviously I immediately bought the soundtrack and listened to the shit out of it. Rewatching it recently because I, I hadn't seen it probably in good five, six, seven years. It was really the songs that came away being like, holy shit, this is as good as I remember it. It's not as, you know, it's not sophomoric. It's just so, this soundtrack is so professionally done and it's catchier, if you know, than anything that's come out recently. Like, it, it is amazing how, how well they were able to work with, with Mark Shaman, especially, you know, doing their first movie and doing their first uh, musical. Because I don't remember them doing too many songs in those first two seasons on their own. Obviously, they'd go on to do a ton of songs on the show, but I, I don't remember it being too musical heavy uh, early in the run. Obviously, throughout the 20, what are, what are we, 22, uh, 22 seasons now, that's something that's continued to come back. And there's been many musical numbers over the years, and uh, they're almost always pretty great. You know, we brought up The Simpsons briefly, and I sort of like wanted to talk about the relationship between these two shows because Gun to the Head, given a choice, and I know this is sacrilege, I think I'm more of a South Park guy than I am a Simpsons guy. Every year The Simpsons stays on the air, that's an easier argument to make, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, South Park is 22 seasons and almost 297 episodes, I think. The Simpsons is 30 seasons and I think about 660 episodes. Most Simpsons academics agree that the the greatest stuff happened between probably like season 3 and season 12, maybe, right? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. 3 to 10, 3 to 11, something something like like that. So it had, you know, it had an apex, whereas I really feel like South Park has remained consistently, like the quality of South Park has remained extraordinarily high throughout mm-hmm. its 22 seasons. Now, was it better, you know, were seasons 8 through 13 better than seasons 15 through 20? Perhaps. You'd have to, you know, get to get to the granular level of that. But But I feel like it's remained consistent in its later years. And the plateau is so much higher than the the Simpsons, you know, nadir. Like Simpsons dropped off and it stayed pretty inessential for about fifteen years now, which is kind of incredible that they're they're still beating this thing. But yeah. you know, I, it, I guess the machine keeps running and it's it still still gets viewers, which is surprising to me. Like it's crazy. Like I haven't watched a new Simpsons episode in over a decade. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Whereas I, you know, I'm anticipating every new South Park season. And, yeah, uh, and They're shorter seasons too. You know, in, in in Simpsons' defense, the South Park seasons are shorter. But Simpsons has a full writing team and they work way you know far in advance. And right. you know, it's it's not like Trey and Matt are like it's not like South Park is. Uh, using you know all these resources to create 10 episodes versus 22 like Simpsons has so much more to work with and these guys are pumping out really great stuff on a weekly you know doing it in a week compared to Simpsons like it, it's just so much more impressive to me what South Park has done so I, I think you're right put a gun to my head I would take every episode of South Park over every episode of Simpsons if I was you know Desert Island or something well, the Simpsons has also just had a revolving door of writers over the course of the last 30 years who've gone on to incredible things, whereas yeah. Trey and Matt are still with 
the show. They're still with their creation and they still are the head writers, you know. So there does feel like there's a little more cohesiveness, you know, like there's a little more there's there's more fingerprints mm-hmm. on the show, whereas it's pretty hard to compare a, uh, a recent Simpsons episode to something that came around, you know, in 1991 or something. Right. Just in terms of like quality of the comedy. Contrarily, would you take the Simpsons movie or the South Park movie? No, of course not. I mean, I I haven't seen the Simpsons movie since it was in the theater. I have zero memories of that movie whatsoever. Ooh. I don't remember it being bad. Oh, I think that movie's great. Oh, really? Okay, maybe I need to revisit it. But yeah, I'd, I, I'd give it another go. I think okay. that movie's fantastic. I certainly will. But I I, I I still presume that you would agree with me that the South Park movie is only because of the music. I th- I think the non music stuff, the Simpsons movie, is better. But it it also took the Simpsons. Let's see, two thousand seven. You know, like it it took them you know almost twenty years into their run to finally make a movie. Whereas these guys got a movie going within the first two years. A lot of that has to do with the fact that. Like you said, these guys were just fucking red hot and everybody wanted a piece of this. Everybody was looking to profit off of this. So they probably were really, really adamant about getting these guys onto the big screen as quickly as possible, both in basketball and the eventual South Park movie. Uh, oh, we haven't even talked about the Beavis, Beavis and Butthead do America mm-hmm. uh, as another example of something like this, which also came to the screen pretty early in that in that show's run. My point was that um, that they brought this to the screen really, really early, but Trey and Matt insisted that it be rated R. Like, that was their stipulation. Yes. They said, all right, we're, we're all going to profit from this thing, but this is going to be a hard R. And apparently it was so hard that they had to resubmit it to the MPAA multiple times. Is it surprising to you, because it, it is to me, that they haven't made any more South Park movies? You know, they they liked these big projects. Team America seemed like a like a nightmare production, even though it turned out pretty damn well. Um, Book of Mormon was obviously a humongous endeavor, but a South Park movie at this point, the production wouldn't have to be that that difficult for them, right? And it really would just take you know taking the time to to write a new batch of great songs. But the animation, the writing, that's sort of like I said, it's just you know a third of a normal season. I, do you think there's not an appetite for it anymore? Or do you think Trey and Matt are sort of like been there, done that? Because it, like I said, it's very interesting that it came out so early in the in the show's run and they haven't even tried it again. Or do you think they'll end the show with... Let's say they decide to end in season 25 or whatever and then they finish with uh, another motion picture. But that brings up a bigger question. How relevant is South Park, the TV show, nowadays? How much of a part of the cultural conversation is South Park? I still find the quality very, very high. I I still really enjoy it. I, st- I still feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of sophistication to to the writing and the way that it deals with politics and pop culture and media. But how many people do you know really talk about South Park these days over coffee or cocktails? I think it's similar to like the life of the show Survivor, right? Okay. Where huge phenomenon early on, like water cooler show, big time, and then it sort of dropped off, plateaued. It's not like in the media, people aren't writing think pieces about it really. But it has like it's solidified an audience. Like the the fans are always gonna be fans, they're gonna watch every season, and the ratings have been pretty much the same for the last 20 years, right? South Park's the same way. Like, it had this huge rise and then sort of fell off as the conversation dwindled. The real, I mean, the true fans have been there. I think the ratings have been really solid every season, even though it's not really being talked about. I think in some circles it's it's relevant, but, you know, there's so much noise out there. There's no monoculture, all those cliches, but nothing they say is going to rock the boat in, in, in the way that it did, you know, early in its run. And I think people have a pretty good feel for Trey and Matt's sort of political nihilism or whatever. So, like, it's not going to make any headlines. But I think for fans, it's it's still relevant. You know, you asked why there hasn't been another movie. And I just think even though I think the ratings have stayed pretty good by Comedy Central standards and I feel that the quality of the writing has stayed high, it just doesn't have the same kind of cachet as it had even probably 10 years ago, let's say. You know, but then again, The Simpsons, like I said, The Simpsons made a movie you know, 18 years into their run, you know, when they had already sort of crested. And it made a fuck ton of money. Exactly. I've always been so impressed with Trey and Matt's interest in diversifying. Team America World Police is just such an interesting flex on their part. <laughs> you know, like the comedy is is obviously coming from the same place. And honestly, the songwriting of that movie is pretty damn strong, too. I mean, it's not uh, it's not 
explicitly a musical, although, you know, Kim Jong-il burst into song at one point, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's like four or five songs in there. There yeah. is, but, you know, America Fuck Yeah is, is just, you know, nobody's... Nobody's singing that on camera. Freedom isn't free is, yeah, that's like during a montage. Of, and then they actually recycle the montage song from <laughs> one of the, from the Aspen episode of South Park. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, my point is that like deciding to do that and just do that all with uh, marionettes and then deciding to do fucking the Book of Mormon and just the incredible success of that. I've just always been so impressed by the way that these guys diversify. And I really would like to see them do another stage musical almost more than um or or just another just original animated film whether it's stop motion or marionettes or whatever although they said they will never do marionettes again because apparently that production was such a fucking nightmare mm-hmm. but um but I would just, I would love to see them do something else on the stage again would I like to see a south park movie sequel absolutely but more than that i would almost love to just see something original from them again you know they could have pulled the plug on south park at any point and they you know it's their medium and they feel like there's no reason to stop now i mean the the freedom it's given them it's not like they have this whole host of characters at this point they can sort of digress into into weird one-offs with you know randy or butters or whoever it's basically the biggest open canvas they can have so i i think i feel like that's why they've kept with south park even though they haven't needed it i mean 10 years ago they could have quit and done a a movie or stage show every couple of years and been fine just the way that the show has chosen to focus on so many different characters over the years and the way that's developed people like randy you know the fact that they've really leaned into randy marsh those are some of my favorite episodes in the entire he's one of my favorite characters but i mean but also butters tweak and then timmy and jimmy who would come you know a couple years later i just want to see i want to see these beloved characters pop up in a in a cinematic environment right in a cinematic context like they just have such a deep bench now you know my affection for the four main boys still remains but there's just such an in, in, impressive bench of characters I mean, you can say the same say the same thing about the simpsons of course another thing they another thing they've done and i forgot to bring this up they had a big hand in in writing all the dialogue for the two south park role-playing games that have come out over the last couple of years okay which have you played those games I have not. No, I haven't played a South Park video game in years. Oh my god, the Stick of Truth was the first one. <laughs> okay. And then uh, South Park Fractured But Whole. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> Two of my favorite video games I've played in the last 10 years. Just okay. absolutely terrific video games. And they're like whole of the story and it's it you know, it's like the dream for one of these TV video games. You're just you're in South Park and you can go anywhere and talk to anyone and do all this crazy fighting and can, even if you're like a very casual gamer it's it's the most fun you'll have playing a video game i think the last time i played a south park video game was didn't i think they had like one game for the n64 I yeah mean, it, it was was, even wasn't the, very good but it was kind of wasn't like a racing game kind uh, of i whatever it no, was no no no. it was it was a first person shooter exactly that's, that's exactly what it is and it had a cl- it had a clever name but i can't remember it off the top of my head but that was it that was the first and last south park video game ever ever played uh, you, you, you could fire yellow snowballs i remember yes that. that's exactly right um, just to circle back to the idea of a sequel and why we haven't seen one yet and completely forgot about this. I, I, I found this on Wikipedia the other day. South Park is a Comedy Central show. Comedy Central is owned by Viacom. Viacom also owns Paramount. Warner Brothers and Paramount co-released the original South Park movie. I think that Paramount had domestic rights and Warner Brothers had international rights. In 2013, Warner Brothers relinquished to Paramount its rights to co-finance a potential future South Park movie, as well as a future Friday the 13th sequel, during their negotiations to co-finance the Christopher Nolan science fiction film Interstellar. Previous efforts to create a second South Park film were complicated by both studios retaining certain rights to the property. Interesting. Paramount wasn't confident enough, despite the fact that the show was a runaway success, they weren't confident enough with the film in 1999, so they brought Warner Brothers in to co-finance, and as a result, they split distribution, right? As a wow. result, Warner Brothers owns part of the South Park cinematic universe, if you will, right? But it's, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's funny that Friday the 13th and Interstellar have both been thrown into this mix because those are, those are films that were co-financed by both of those studios as well. So they're basically using... You know, Interstellar and further, further Friday the Thirteenth movies as bargaining chips to either move forward on a, another South Park film or to stop another South Park film from being made. So maybe it's you know maybe Trey and Matt have wanted to make a sequel, but maybe there's just so much uh, corporate bureaucracy holding them back. Huh. 
Yeah. That's weird. Well, fuck that. Just a couple more things here to touch on. In response to the controversy about the film's rating, the MPAA began backing up their ratings on print posters by posting reasons to explain them beginning in 2000. So in the same way that uh, Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom are responsible for creating the PG-13 rating, South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut is responsible for why we get explanations of ratings on posters now, right? Wow. So when you look at PG-13 for strong sexual content and profanity, Mm -hmm. that's because of South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. So that's part of his legacy. Adult themes. Exactly. Thematic elements was the one that I always loved. Yeah, you know, like you said, a a breezy 81 minutes cost $21 million, which seems pretty quaint nowadays, and uh, did $83 worldwide. So not a smash, I would say. But again, I I attribute a lot of that Tarzan box, a lot of those Tarzan box office bucks to South Park attendees. It's it's hard when you're, you know, your main audience can't can't legally get into the movie. Yeah, imagine how much bigger of a of a smash. I mean, American Pie already was a very big success. Imagine how much of how much bigger of a success it would have been if all the people who were sitting in those seats had actually paid to be in those seats. I guess the bigger question is: Does this would this movie work for people who aren't already in the pocket for South Park? Like, if if someone had never seen an episode of South Park and you just sat them down in front of this, is it still going to work? Is it going to work autonomously? Uh, I think some stuff does. You know, maybe the whole Kenny dying thing wouldn't make a ton of sense. It would seem kind of random to people who weren't fans of the show at the time. I mean, because Trey and Matt obviously over the years got very tired of that trope because that was a that was a calling card from the beginning of the show right kenny dies in every episode he was just straight up dead for like three seasons right didn't they just leave him dead for a while yeah yeah <laughs> exactly but besides that i mean the the songs are so good that I, I i can't imagine people would be confused or off but i think it definitely works south park fans are going to get more out of kyle's mom's a bitch and they're going to get more out of uh, i'm super thanks for asking because yeah. those are obviously callbacks but you know the show that the story works perfectly well on its own and it's got a perfect three-act structure to it so so yeah i would i would be interested to you know set a 17 year old down in front of this now who has no relationship with the show whatsoever and see if they laugh and see if they're engaged gen z gen gen z will will find south park it's been said that i think you know a lot of new college students dorm rooms have found south park on hulu and it's become you know it gets crazy good streaming numbers which is which is good new generations are discovering south park uh george clooney gets a proper cameo this time after his uh first you know arfing cameo in 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 season one i believe he has a fun relationship with this series because he uh, allegedly he's one of the people who first started circulating the uh, original spirit of christmas like back in the early 90s he was one of the guys who was first championing this so it's fun that he's always had a relationship with the series yeah, and I remember you know watching DVD commentary on the first couple seasons of South Park, and Trey and Matt talked about Clooney. Right when they got big, right at the beginning, they, all these stars wanted to have cameos on the show. They were like, they didn't want to be that kind of show, especially after like uh, they did Jennifer Aniston, I think in early season two. George Clooney was like one of the only guys who got it when they're like, "Hey, we just want you to come on and, and bark once." <laughs> <laughs> and that that will be your entire role. And he's like, "Yes, absolutely. That sounds awesome." Because <laughs> most people were like, "You know, what? What do you mean? No, I want to talk. Like, I want to show people that I was on the show." They're like, "No, we want you to. We're going to say you're on the show, but you're only going to be a dog or be a robot." Props to Clooney for having a good sense of humor. Just in terms of this film's relationship to 1999, I was struck on my rewatch by the fact that there's a, a Jar Jar Binks joke during the climax <laughs> of the film and I remember vividly that that got far and away the biggest laugh in the theater because it was so fresh right because yes. we, were, we were less than a month removed from the Jar Jar situation was do you think that was a late add to the movie or was it based on the trailers or what it's it's an interesting question I I, I mean again the fact that they were able to like churn this stuff out so quickly I mean that line does pop up in the trailer they knew Trey and Matt knew it would be a disaster well they knew that that would be sort of iconic <laughs> either positively or negatively so they yeah. would they would be able to riff on it either way you know I, I I didn't realize it hadn't made that much money like 83 million worldwide is not out and out success and I not feel like hit. even on the 20 20 million budget probably a lot of you know advertising to go along with that I think the movie holds up splendidly I was really happy because um, I was I was worried it, w- it wouldn't hold up right sometimes comedies you know from from decades past really sort of suffer uh, over the years but uh, I think the humor's there. I think there's some, you know, not like you said, not everything sticks. Uh, there's some humor that falls flat. Like I said, I, I, you know, I think the writing is not as good as it would become on the series. The music 
is so fucking good, and I, I cannot stress that enough. Uh, I love every song, and I, I think that is the legacy. Unfortunately, you know, I don't think this movie is talked about enough, probably, you know, in regards to where it stands among musicals of the last 25 years. It's not, it's not streaming on any of the streaming sites. You have to you have to rent it, so I'm not sure how easily accessible it is for people who haven't seen it. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there maybe is a generation that hasn't discovered it yet. Huh, maybe that'll change. Do, do you feel like it's... Its legacy is is entrenched in any way. It just doesn't seem to be one of the 1999 films that people, you know, it's not like Fight Club or you know, even American Beauty or I don't know, even She's All That. Like it's just it's just not something from 1999 that I feel has has had uh, much of a shelf life. Do you think that's because there's been so much South Park content over the years that it's not really necessary? Yeah, I mean, like we said, the show has really become something completely different like the show the the show nowadays is just it it really bears very little resemblance to where it was in 99 or where the movie was in 1999 um and that's that's not a you know that's that's neither here nor there i'm not saying that's a positive or a negative necessarily but yeah i mean sort of in you know almost in the same way as you know run lola run that we talked about last week is the kind of film from 1999 that I think we should revisit and reevaluate and re-champion. Go out there and uh, rediscover this movie, people. It's it's 82 minutes of your life. It's it's pretty darn easy. It's a pretty fun sit. And as somebody who has gotten to be crotchety in his old age when yeah. it comes to comedy, this movie literally made me belly laugh in ways that I haven't <laughs> in a really long time. Now, is that just somebody who you know was of a certain age in the 90s who is nostalgically thinking back to a movie that made him laugh so hard? Perhaps. But yeah, this this movie, like it, it brings something out of me that um, comedies have not in many, many years. So I appreciate that. I have a visceral, a positive visceral reaction to this film. I mean, I, I've also gotten crotchety about comedies and uh, <laughs> this one... This one held up, probably unlike some other comedies we'll revisit over the next six months. What's next for retrospectating 1999? Speaking of comedies, speaking <laughs> of 1999, and I've dropped this name a couple times now, so let's just get straight to it. American Pie came out on July 9th, 1999. So in two weeks, we're going to discuss that film. And that's another movie that I haven't watched in a really long time, and I am, frankly, a little bit terrified. Also a complicated film to talk about in today's climate. But, you know, sex comedies sex comedies are, are a thing. You know, sex comedies are a phenomenon that have existed for decades and decades now, and that was ours. You know, American Pie was our porkies. A film that went on to spawn a franchise, <laughs> oddly enough, you know, like there is an extended American Pie universe, if you will. And it launched the career of uh, Chris Klein. 99, the year of Klein. Yeah, so I think this is going to be a harder one to compel people <laughs> to follow us on, but I promise it's going to be uh, it's going to be a biting, you know, it's going to be an incisive conversation. I loved it when I was 16. I can't imagine that will be the case when I rewatch <laughs> it for the first time in 15 years in the coming weeks. So that will be fun. That's it. Uh, say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye, Matt. There are times when you get suckered in by drugs and alcohol and sex with women, okay? But it's when you do these things too much that you've become an addict and must get back in touch You can do it, it's all up to you With a little plan you can change your life today You don't have to spend your life addicted to smack Homeless on the streets giving handjobs for crack Follow my plan and very soon you will 